Can you find me? I'm here. Behind you, look. Behind you. Not a Welcome back to another episode of This Some Scary Shit. I'm your host, of course, the infamous Donnie K. So this week we got another, another axe murder. Like, what was up with motherfuckers chopping niggas up? Like, I'm not understanding the the romanticizing of the acts like was this a thing was this like a trend was this a trending topic back then i don't know like y'all are crazy as fuck they were crazy as fuck well i'm gonna go ahead and jump right into it So this week's episode is on the Velisca Axe murders. All right, so this happened between June 9th, 1912, and the early morning of June 10th, 1912. So unlike the uh, Chopper St- Mr. Chopper Style, this only happened in one night, whereas Mr. Chopper Style was doing this for months. All right, so the Velisca Axe murders happened in a town called Velisca, Iowa. That's in the United States. And there were six members of the Moore family and two other guests that were found pretty much axed, chopped the fuck up in the Moore residence. So the Moore family consisted of the parents, Josiah B., he was 43, Sarah, her maiden name was Montgomery, so Sarah Montgomery Moore, 39, their four children, Herman Montgomery, 11, Mary Catherine, 10, Arthur Boyd, 7, and Paul Vernon, 5. And they had, the two other guests were 8-year-old Ina May and 12-year-old Lena Gertrude Stillinger. Now, those two, they were sisters, but they were not related to the Moore family. So the Moore family, they were very rich. They were affluent family, and they were also well-known and well-liked in their community. So them being, you know, murdered, was a big deal. So let's start the story here. So uh, Ina May and Lena Gertrude Stillinger, the two sisters that weren't a part of the Moore family, they were invited to stay the night with Mary Catherine on June 9th, 1912. The Moore family and the visiting girls, they all went to a, like a Presbyterian church that evening to take part in Sarah's Children's Day program. So the Moore family and the Stillinger sisters, they walked into the Moore house between 9.45 and 10 p.m. after the event ended at 9.30. So the Moores had a neighbor. Her name was Mary Peckham, and she got a little concerned around 7 a.m. the next day, which was June 10th, when uh, she noticed that the family hadn't gone out to do, like, their morning chores. So Peckham went to the Moore's house, and she knocked on the door. Of course, no one answered. So when nobody answered, she attempted to unlock the door, but it was locked. So Peckham just was like, you know what, let me help the family out. Um, She went and let the chickens loose (laughs) and summoned Josiah's brother, Ross Moore. So Josiah, remember Josiah is the patriarch of this this family, okay? So 
Ross Moore knocks on the door. And just like with Mary, he got no reaction when he knocked and shot on the door. So nobody really came to the door. So Ross used his spare home key to unlock the front door. And he proceeded into the house and opened the guest bedroom door. And that's where he discovered Ina and Lena Stillinger's dead bodies on the bed. Mary stood on the porch while all this was going on. So Ross quickly instructed Mary to call the Villisca primary peace officer. And his name was Henry Hank Horton. And he arrived shortly after. So the whole Moore family, as well as the two Stillinger, Stillinger girls, Stillinger girls, had been chopped the fuck up, according to Horton's investigation. And the murder weapon, which was Josiah's axe, was discovered in the guest room where the sisters were discovered. Hmm. Doctors determined that the murders occurred between the hours of midnight and 5 a.m. You know, I never really knew how they can tell like when a body or when somebody died, like the exact time or time frame. Like I never understood how they could find that out because everyone's body should be different. But I get I'm I'm not sure. That's that's something I should just look up. That's interesting. So the assailant or assailants, they used the axe's blade on Josiah while the blunt end was used on the rest of the victims. So that sounded like uh they had some beef with Josiah. I don't know what Josiah did, but they was they fucked him up. Okay. Following their parents, Herman, Mary Catherine, Arthur, and Paul were hit in the head. Following that, the murderer returned to the master bedroom to inflict additional blows to the older Moors, so the parents knocking aside a blood-soaked shoe before heading downstairs and killing Ina and Lena. So it sounded like Ina and Lena were, um, what's the word? Collateral damage. And that's kind of sad. That's, that's fucked up. Um, damn. Except for Lena Stillinger, investigators suspected that all of the victims were asleep when they were slain. So damn, Lena was up. She was found lying crosswise on the bed with a defensive wound on her arm, leading them to believe she was awake and trying to fight back. I know that's right. Lena's nightgown was pushed up to her waist and she was naked, prompting police authorities to believe that the killer or killers sexually molested or attempted to sexually assault her. So remember, Lena was the... 12 year old she was the 12 year old so she she i think she was the oldest out of the the whole ch all of the bunch she was the oldest she was the oldest child in the house damn that's it so there were about one two three four oh man five six seven suspects seven suspects and we're gonna go through each one of them motherfuckers so the first suspect was a man named Andrew Sawyer. Um, he was one of the suspects in the murder, and as was every transient and otherwise unaccounted for stranger, he was questioned, but no charges were brought against him. So I'm assuming he had like a solid alibi. Um, not sure. The next suspect was the goddamn reverend. 
Reverend George Kelly. And he was a traveling clergyman from England who happened to be in town on the night of the killings. Kelly was described as odd with reports that he had a mental breakdown as a teenager. He was accused of peaking as an adult and of requesting young women and girls to pose naked for him on multiple occasions. You nasty bitch. You know, he's a clergyman from England. And that's all I'm going to say. He arrived in Villisca on June 8th, 1912, and he was there to teach at the Children's Day Services. And that's where the Moors were the night before they were killed. So on June 10th, between 5 and 5 a.m. and 5.30 a.m., he departed town, which was hours before the victims were discovered. In court, the reverend confessed to the murders, but the jury did not believe him. Why the fuck would you confess? And you know what? Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna come in, I'm coming back. So in the weeks that followed, he became engrossed in the case and wrote numerous letters to police, detectives, and the deceased families. This sparked a lot of suspicion. And a private investigator responded by writing to the reverend, asking for any information he might have concerning the murders. So Kelly responded in great detail. He claimed to have heard noises and maybe seen the murders. So you claim to do it, and now you claim to have seen who did it? Like, ain't you so... Okay. Authorities questioned whether he knew the facts because he committed the murders or if he was fabricating his story because of his mental illness. Makes sense. Kelly was then jailed in 1914, which was two years after the murders, for transmitting obscene literature through the mail. He was sexually harassing a woman who applied for a job as his secretary. He... <laughs> He was admitted to St. Elizabeth's Hospital in Washington, D.C., which was the nation's mental hospital. So I'm assuming that's the only mental hospital at the time. And Kelly could be the Moore family's murderer. Investigators hypothesized once more. It kind of makes sense that he would have been the actual murderer. Like, he, what was the reason that you had to kill this family? And then, like, he had no reason. And... If he has great details of what happened, you know, I'm okay. So Kelly was arrested for the Villisca killings in 1917, and he eventually recanted when police received a confession from him after many hours of interrogation. So he was he eventually was acquitted after two different trials. Damn, you got two trials and you were acquitted on both. What what was what's the word double jeopardy? Like, does that, does the double jeopardy apply here? Like, if you're listening, please tell me if double jeopardy applies here because how the fuck, but anyway, next suspect was Frank F. Jones. Frank Fernando Jones was an Iowa State Senator and a Villisca native. Before leaving to create his own company, Josiah Moore did work for Frank at his implement store for many years. What the fuck an implement store is? I don't know. Anyway. Moore is said to have snatched business from Jones, Ooh. including a lucrative John Deere dealership. Ooh, ooh, 
okay, I can see why Frank would have done that because listen, if y'all know what John Deere is, that is money, okay? That is money. Moore was supposed to have had a sexual relationship with Jones's daughter-in-law, although there is no proof of that. Ooh, that's some spicy tea for it to be 1912. What the hell? Oh my God, like... Okay, okay, I see you, Frank. I see you, Frank. The next suspect is William Mansfield. He was, um, so Senator Jones may have paid William Mansfield to assassinate the Morphin. Oh, this is spicy as fuck. Oh, my God. Oh, so this was just an allegation. But they think that Frank may have paid William to kill the Moore family. So, a comparable axe murder case occurred in Colorado Springs uh, nine months before the murders in Villisca. In Ellsworth, Kansas, and Paola, Kansas, two axe murder cases followed. The crimes were also similar enough to suggest that they were done by the same person. So, the numerous unsolved axe murders along the Southern Pacific Railroad from 1911 to 1912, the unsolved axemen of New Orleans, Mr. 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 Style, homicides, and several other murders during this time period have all been linked to these atrocities. So, this whole time, I'm sitting up here thinking, um, these were like the only two axe murders. But, the, oh my God, this really was a thing that... They were chopping motherfuckers up. What it was? What was it with killing with the axes? Now I may cover one more axe story. Just one more. Stay tuned. So, in terms of execution, the murders in Colorado Springs were very similar to those in the Moore House. Mrs. Burnham or A.J. Burnham, H.C. Wayne, and his wife and child were found slain with an axe. To keep pedestrians from peering in, bed sheets were draped over the windows. Ooh. The murderer covered the Moore houses, the Moore's house windows with aprons and skirts. The murderer in Colorado Springs wiped the blood off his axe and covered the heads of the big victims with bedclothes, just as he did in Villisca. So Mansfield was also a key suspect for Kansas City's Burns Detective Agency. And Detective James Newton Wilkerson, who suspected him of being a cocaine addict, serial killer. Hmm. Wilkerson believed Mansfield was responsible for the axe murders of his wife, infant child, father-in-law, and mother-in-law in Blue Island, Illinois on July 5th, 1914, which was two years after the Villisca murders. The axe murders in Paola, Kansas, four days before the Villisca murders, and the axe murders of Jenny Peterson and Jenny Miller in Aurora, Illinois, according to contemporary news reports. So according to Wilkerson's investigation, all of the murders were carried out in the same manner, implying that they were all carried out by the same person. On the night of the murders, Wilkerson claimed he could prove Mansfield was there at each of the various crime scenes. He must have got paid a lot of money to do this. If he was paid to do the Velisca murders, then he was probably paid to do the other murders. And if that was the case, he must have got paid a lot of fucking money. That's that's a lot of traveling for one person to do just to kill people. So, um, according to, on the night of the murders, 
Wilkerson claimed he could prove Mansfield was there at each of the various crime scenes. The victims were chopped to death with an axe in each crime. And the victims' homes and mirrors were covered. A lit lamp was left at the foot of the bed with the chimney turned off. And a basin in which the murderer washed was discovered in the kitchen. If, nope. if you don't know what a basin is, because I, I don't think that's a term that's still used today. I'm not really sure. But um, basin is sink, pretty much. In each case, the murderer used gloves to avoid leaving fingerprints. Smart. Which Wilkerson took as significant evidence that the man was Mansfield, who was aware that his fingerprints were on file at the federal military prison in Leavenworth. In 1916, Wilkerson persuaded a grand jury to initiate an investigation, and Mansfield was arrested and transported from Kansas City to Montgomery County. However, payroll records supplied an alibi indicating that Mansfield was in Illinois at the time of the Villisca killings. Smart man. He was released due to the lack of evidence, and he eventually won a case against Wilkerson, receiving $2,225 in damages. Now, $2,000 in 1912 may have been a lot back then, but today that's worth about $65,079.19. So, and you, considering the cost of infl- those, the what inflation and stuff, I'm not an economics person, so forgive me. But considering inflation and, sh- and stuff like that, um, our dollar's not shit. Anyway, so he Wilkerson claimed that Jones's pressure resulted in not just Mansfield's release, but also Reverend Kelly's arrest and trial. Um, a guy named R. H. Thorpe. It was a restaurant owner from Shenandoah, Iowa, recognized Mansfield as the guy he saw boarding a train in Clarinda the morning after the Villisca murders. This individual claimed to have walked from Villisca. This testimony, if found to be genuine, would refute Mansfield alibi. Mrs. Vina or Vina Tompkins of Marshalltown was also on her way to testify that she had heard Three men plotting the murder of the Moore family in the woods a short time before the murders. What was up with the Moore? What like I wonder what what the Moore family had going. On. It had to be something with Josiah, bro. Because why would people randomly kill this entire family? So if that's the case, if these folks had beef with Josiah, then literally everyone else in the house was collateral damage, and that's the sad part. Because there were children involved. To be honest, if they was if they was just coming after Josiah, they should have just kidnapped him and did their business and left the family alone. But these folks, let me not. So the next murder, I mean, I'm sorry, the next murder, the next suspect was a man named Henry Lee Moore. So Henry Lee Moore, he's not, okay, first of all, he's not related to the Moore family. He just has the same last name. Henry Lee Moore was a, sus- a suspected serial killer who was convicted of murdering his own mama and his grandmama several months after the murders in Villisca. He used an axe as his weapon of choice. Before and after the murders in Villisca, his mother and grandmother were murdered with an axe, and all in the cases shared striking similarities, leading, leading to strong suspicions that some 
if not all of the crimes were committed by an axe-wielding serial killer. And the axe-wielding Henry Moore, like Mansfield, can be considered a suspect in some of these slings. Why would this man kill his own mama? What'd your mama do? What the hell did your mama do? Shit. And your grandmama? What the fuck did they do to you? My God. Next suspect. Sam Moyer. So at the inquest, it was revealed that Sam Moyer, who was Josiah's brother-in-law, so maybe uh, his sister's husband, had threatened to murder Josiah Moore on numerous occasions. However, subsequent inquiry revealed that Moyer's alibi exonerated him of the crime. What the, what the fuck that got to do with that? He probably hired somebody to kill this family. And why would you have beef with your brother-in-law? What the hell is... Yo, it, it was Josiah. I'm saying it now. It was fucking Josiah. He was the problem. He was the damn problem. And the last suspect, um, this guy named Paul Mueller or Miller. I don't want to get too much into um, Paul. The reason why they think Paul is because it's based off of uh, two people's investigations. But I will say this. Um, they So these two people, they pretty much wanted a broader perspective or a broader look of all of the murders and have a play-by-play -play to pretty much narrow down that Paul was the actual murder. So Paul was a German immigrant, and he was actually the sole suspect in a 1897 murder of a family in West Brookfield, Massachusetts. And he worked for this family as a farmhand. So, um, like I said, these two people put together, they put together all the facts and stuff that they know about the murders. And this is what they came up with. Um, they said the killer targeted families who live near railroad tracks, and which is why the killer was suspected to have traveled and struck an ambush at around midnight while the victims were sleeping, used the blunt side of an axe rather than the blade to hit the victims in the head and face used an axe found at the victim's home and left in plain sight after the murders, covered the victims with blankets to prevent blood splatter, and covered windows from the victims to prevent blood. As with Lena's partial disrobing, there were frequently, but not always, a sexual motive to Mueller's suspected offenses intended towards a, a adolescent girl. So that sounds just like the New Orleans axe murders, I honestly think that was probably the same person. And just like the New Orleans axe murders, the murders for the Villisca, uh, for Villisca, Iowa, the murderer was never caught. So, of course, at this point, the murderer is dead because this was well over 100 years ago. And nobody will ever know. Like, anybody from that time period, everyone from that time period is gone i mean there might be like a couple people you know trying to be guinness world record and shit but at that like right now anybody in that time frame is long gone so we will never know who killed these families and who who started the trend of chopping motherfuckers up and it's sad because like i said there were children involved and you know it's always it's it's always the man. It's the man's issue. Just like with the that uh oh my mind. My mind just like that I got it. Just like the Cernsey house. 
where the dad in the surrogacy house was the main reason why them girls was fucking with that family. Josiah was the reason why his whole family and two other girls who were friends of the family lost their lives. And it sucks. Yeah. All right. So now we are going. We. What the hell? It's just me. So now I'm going to read um, this week's story. It is titled, I Used to Rent a Haunted Room. Hmm. This is by um, Reddit user C. I'm not sure. Anyway, it all started around 1.30 a.m. Something was knocking on the window. Very often, something knocked very hard once, and then someone just knocked on the door. It was very common to hear a wall pounding three times. Behind the wall was a courtyard, or something knocked three times on the floor from below. There was a place downstairs where no one lived and was closed. The door was able to open and close at night. At night, I was awakened by the sounds of jumping on the bed, only that I had no bed other than the one on which I slept. The radio changed stations by itself. Something was scratching the metal sill. Often single steps were heard. The lady who rented me a room says she saw a young man at night who was standing outside her window. She also saw a little girl followed her, but she disappeared. The old caretaker said that Satan lives in the building. Everyone laughed at her. She said that someone knocks on the shelf where the radio stands, turns off her radio, and changes stations. About the caretaker, she was very religious, and she listened to Catholic to the Catholic radio. I smelled strong women's perfume in my room at night. I often heard vibrations as if there were a lot of Nokia 3310s all over the room. I have often had strange dreams and sleep paralysis. I remember a very realistic one who said that in this house, there are dead, tormented souls of people who are still alive. The dream figures urged me to commit suicide. I also often woke up at night and felt very hot. I moved out of this rented room. Hell, shit, I'm glad you did, too. The minute I would have heard random ass knocking, I would have gotten the fuck out of there. Like, one of the one of the um, commenters said, I grew up in a super haunted group home, and I saw people get thrown, choked, pulled off beds, scratched, and once I saw a girl get possessed. We got a priest in to exercise the building, which half worked because it got a lot less intense, but it still felt uneasy and put up crosses in every room. I got out two years ago and I've never been better. Shit, I'm glad you got out. Listen, the minute a ghost comes in my space, you can have it. I'm not fighting you. It's yours. Keep it. I don't give a fuck. Um, an- another commenter said, odd Nokia flags made me Google so props. <laughs> so that's, that's wild that you don't know what the fuck the Nokia 3310 is. If I'm not mistaken, that Nokia 3310 is probably that big chunky phone where you can play snake on. But, um, yeah, I'm kind of glad that he got out of there. That was a pretty short story today, but I'm going to end this show right here. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and IG. I say this almost like every fucking episode, but you know. 
So don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and IG at Some Scary Shit Pod. No I and shit for show updates and visuals for today's shows. I'm going to give pictures of all the family members and the two girls that were involved. Um, if you are listening on Spotify, don't forget to vote on the poll about today's episode. Um, if you like the show so far, please rate it five stars and give us a review. And to be honest, give an honest review. I love feedback. Anything to help the listeners enjoy the show a little bit better. Um, also, if you like, you can donate to our to my, uh, the tech fund on Buy Me a Coffee. Um, and if, also, remember, if you have a story you want shared or a story you want me to cover, email the podcast at ts3pod at gmail.com. All right, I'm out. Peace.